chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Father, we do ask for your aid this morning and that you would help us along. Jesus, your Son, says that he would send the Helper so we can understand. And so please help us this morning understand. Amen. If you remember last week, we looked at Paul calling this church, the church in Ephesus, to walk as children of light. What Paul has been doing is he's been helping this church, he's been helping us, 21st century readers, understand what our newfound identity is now that we are in Christ. And so he called them last week to walk as children of light. To walk in our new identity as Christians, as born-again people who now have Christ indwelling in them. This is crucial for Christians to do. So he, he called them to walk in light and he calls them away from the world. Walk in the light, not in darkness. Why? Because while you walk in the light, Paul said you actually expose the darkness around you. So so the question that we were wrestling with last week and that we were looking at last week is a pretty simple question. Do people look at us and see the light of Christ or do they see the world? Because those who are in Christ have been changed. Those who are in Christ have new desires to walk in the light. And those who have changed... The world now sees it because there is a light that is around. What we're seeing this morning is Paul again calling us to walk a certain way. I don't know if you've noticed this as we've been looking at chapters 4 and 5, but Paul so far up to this point has called the church to walk five times. So as we've seen in chapters 1 through 3, it's gospel doctrine. Paul is saying, believe in this. And now in chapters 4 through 6, Paul is saying, live like this. And he has started this section in chapters 4 and 5, calling us to walk. He's saying, put on your walking shoes, Christians. Get off the couch. This is an active participation. 
We see this from the very beginning in chapter 4. You are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called to. In the middle of chapter 4, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their minds. At the beginning of chapter 5, walk in love. Then, in the middle of chapter 5, we get two. Walk as children of light. And now, we see Paul calling us to walk with Wisdom. The Christian faith is an active participation. This is why we put on our walking shoes as Christians and walk out our faith. And today what we are seeing is Paul calling now the Christians, calling us to walk with wisdom. Now, I don't know about you. I have hardly met a person who likes to be called a fool. In fact, I have never witnessed anybody being taken, uh, being called a fool uh, as a compliment. I've never seen anybody wear that label with a badge of honor. What I have seen on the basketball court a few times is fistfights almost break out when people call each other fools. But I've never seen somebody walk away saying, Hey, gee, thanks for calling me a fool. The world doesn't like to be called a fool. Because being called a fool implies ignorance. It implies a form of stupidity about life. It implies something that we don't want. And yet, if we look out, the world is constantly, we as human beings are scratching and clawing clawing our way for wisdom, aren't we? This is why there are such things as philosophers. They want to understand wisdom. They want to understand what makes a person tick. What the right thing to do is. How to do that right thing. When to do that right thing. We all have this internal desire to be wise people. Everybody does. We all do. Why? Because the person that's called wise, there's a sense of honor that's bestowed on them. The person who's wise is seen as a sage of some sort. A person who has it together. A person who knows what to do. But if we were to look closely at how the world identifies wisdom, we might see two popular thoughts. We have some people who would say that wisdom is born out of knowledge. And there's this understanding that as one gets older, that they have wisdom. Now, I want to stay in my lane and respect those who are older, but I do think it is fair to say that I've met some old people who are not wise at all. So, that brings us to the other way that the world views wisdom. And that's of experience. Take one, one uh, look on Google. Type in Google how to gain wisdom and you will be met 
with link after link going to some university or another, giving you a top 10 list of how to become wise. And sure enough, you will see the number one is to go out and gain experience. Those who have wisdom are those who have experience. Well, but that isn't necessarily the case either because there are those who have a ton of experience and yet I've seen them not act in wise ways. So, what could be a good definition for us this morning for wisdom? I'd like to propose this definition and make just a, a, a few comments on it. Wisdom is practically applying the knowledge you have. Wisdom is practically applying the knowledge you have. Now, some of you may say, well, then both Christians and non-Christians in your definition can have wisdom. And what I would say is that that's God's common grace towards man. It's not that the non-Christian is necessarily wise in the right ways, but just as it rained over my house this past week, and it rained over our neighbor's house who isn't a Christian, so it is with this type of practical application of knowledge. Just because this is my definition doesn't make a person wise quite yet. We are scratching at the surface of wisdom here. So could a successful business person who's not a Christian look or perceive to be wise? Well, yes, but are they actually wise? What are they doing the success for? What's in their hearts? What's the motive behind it? You see, what I believe we're going to see this morning in our passage, and what we could say this big idea that Paul is unfolding for us, what the, what the key point of this passage is, is this. If we want to walk wisely, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we want to walk wisely, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you desire to walk with wisdom? If you do desire to walk with wisdom, you must be filled with God's Spirit. And we see this as Paul is writing and saying, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. He is calling the Christians, he is calling this church in Ephesus to walk in wisdom. He is warning them. In fact, what he's doing here is something even more specifically that in the 21st century we don't do a very good job at. He is calling them to a type of self-examination. Verse 15, look carefully. Watch. Look at yourself. See how you are functioning. Look carefully how you walk. Are you examining your walk? This is the question that should come to our mind when we see Paul talking right here, is we should ask ourselves, am I examining my Christian walk? Am I examining it? Am I allowing other people to examine the walk? 
maybe a good way for you to examine your walk is each night before you go to bed is to just sit there and contemplate what the day held for you. Maybe you're the type of person that needs to journal your thoughts out and then ask those questions on a piece of paper. Are you allowing other people in the church to examine your life with you as they, as you examine their life? We are called to look out. We're called to be self-aware of how we are walking as Christians. Are you examining your heart? As Christians, we should feel so much freedom to do this, shouldn't we? Because we know that we've been met with mercy and grace, why wouldn't we want to examine our hearts because we know that when we confess this before the Lord, He is faithful and just to forgive us. Self-examination should not be something that we should run from. It's in fact something we should run to because we know that our Heavenly Father has forgiven us. Do you take time to examine how you are walking as unwise or as wise? Because Paul is calling this church to walk with wisdom. He says it right here. Don't walk as unwise, but as wise. We are called to walk wisely. And how do we do this? As I've mentioned this before, one of the roles of the apostles was to explain the teachings of Jesus. You remember one of the parables. Do you remember one of the parables of when the disciples are asking Jesus, and Jesus, they're asking him this question, and his response to them is, is this strange metaphor of building a house on sand or building a house on a rock. You know what he says before that? What he says before that is the wise person is a person who hears my words and practices them. They are like a person who builds their house on a rock and not as a person who builds their house on sand. This is what Paul has been doing for us so far. He's been teaching us how to build the house on the rock, what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it looks like to count the cost and totally surrender and buy into the identity that we have in Christ. Are you hearing the words of Jesus? Are you reading the words of Scripture and are you practicing them? Are you putting them into play? This is why Paul calls them to examine themselves. This is why Paul is basically calling them to sit down and watch game film. He's calling them to sit down and look over your grammar before you hit send in that email. He's calling them to watch out, to look and walk, not as an unwise person, but as a wise person. But why? Because he tells us we need to make the best use of the time that we have here. Because the days here are evil. Here again, we're confronted, aren't we? Are you making the best use of your time? 
as I was preparing for this passage, one of the things that just totally hit me straight in the heart was that time is not neutral. There is no such thing as neutral time. How are you using your time? We could translate this another way. What Paul is calling this church to do is he's calling them to redeem the time. Walk wisely by redeeming your time. There are so many ways for us to be distracted, isn't there? There are so many ways in this life to just let time slip by. And we believe that time is neutral. But the question that we need to ask ourselves is, are we doing what we are doing to the glory of God or are we doing what we are doing for our own self-glory? You may think, Actually, let me use this scenario. Sharice and I, we have gone to the hospital a lot over the last few years. It is easy for me to think that while I am waiting in the waiting room to be called back into the doctor's office, that that is just neutral time. That that time doesn't mean anything. It's just this waiting period. But that time is not neutral at all. As you are scrolling through social media, as you are watching things on YouTube or TikTok, is it to the glory of God or is it for your own selfish glory? Paul is calling Christians to walk wisely by redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. We know that as Christians. All we have to do is turn on the news and see tragedy after tragedy. To see something like a submarine exploding and imploding more as a news title and less as five people dying. How flippantly do we treat life? The days are evil, and so we must be a people who redeem the time. And a wise person looks at their time here and says, man's days are 70, 80 by strength. The woman looks at her time and says, my life is like a mist, it is like a vapor, it's here today and gone tomorrow. And so we must do everything that we can to redeem our time. The wise person walks with eternity stamped on their eyeballs, recognizing and knowing that at any moment, my time here could be up. How are you redeeming your time? Are you under the illusion that time is neutral? Have you been fooled into thinking that time is neutral? What are you doing to redeem your time? You see, this is where 
Paul then continues and he helps us understand more explicitly what the wise person or how the wise person walks. Paul says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So here it is. The wise person understands the will of the Lord. Now, right here, we might be tempted to think that what Paul is saying here is, the wise person understands who my girlfriend should be, or who my boyfriend should be, or if I should go to this college or that college, or if I need to make this purchase or that purchase, or if I should stay here or move here, or if I should go to, to that job or I should go to that job. Here, Paul is not talking about the Lord's will or God's will being as a practical guidance. Paul isn't speaking of God's will as if I go down this street, then I'm not living in God's will. But if I go down this street, then I am living in God's will. What Paul means by God's will here is understanding God's salvation plan from beginning to end. What Paul is trying to help his readers understand is that the wise person understands the full scope of the gospel. That is, let me put it simply like this, some people refer to it as, I will be saved, I am saved, and I am currently being saved. If we look at the Lord's Prayer, we see that Jesus, when He is teaching the disciples to pray, He says, pray like this, and He goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is trying to help the church here understand that God's will for you is your sanctification. God's will for you is to walk in a holy and blameless life according to His Word. God's will for you is to hear the words of Jesus and then practice them. This is God's will for us as a church. The wise person, the wise person does the will of God. He hears, she hears, and practices. But this is one of the problems of mankind. Is that we're given the blueprints, we've been given land to build a house on, and we have this knowledge, and we have understanding on how it works, and we have the blueprints at our house scrolled across our desk, and then we don't build our house on the rock. Why? This is our problem because of sin. We don't build the house on the rock because sin, it numbs our hearts. It causes us to look at this. To say, let me study all of the finer points of this word and that word. We almost want to put Jesus on an operating table and crack open his chest cavity to look at his heart rather than to experience it. 
We want to know all of the little things about Jesus instead of actually knowing Jesus and applying the things that Jesus teaches. And the reason why we do this is because sin numbs our hearts. We cannot live out the will of God because of sin that reigns in our hearts. We cannot live out the will of God because sin numbs our hearts. Sin is mankind's greatest problem and prevents us from doing God's will. Sin keeps us from being wise. And it keeps us shackled as fools. It does this by tempting us and convincing us that we really only need ourselves. We only need to just rely on ourselves. This was the foolishness of Adam and Eve in the garden, and this is the same foolishness of us. We believe that we have a better plan than God. We believe that we can get things done better, quicker, faster, more efficient than God. And what we do in our foolishness is we put ourselves above God. Because sin numbs our hearts. Paul, he, he says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. He says this because in a drunken state, it alters your mind. You don't think clearly. And when you aren't thinking clearly, you actually sin more. Now, is Paul saying here that drinking is wrong? No, he's not saying drinking is wrong. He's saying getting drunk is wrong. The, the problem that you and I have, though, is we love to assume we know ourselves as good as we think we do. We think we know the right amount and the right limit. And yet we don't. It may not be drink for you that alters your mind. It may not be drugs that alter your mind. But why do you think the culture or society has come up with words like love drunk? or drunk with greed, or envy. It's because sin numbs our hearts and alters our minds where we just want to carry out our own sinful passions and our own desires. It prevents us from doing the will of the Lord. And so our Lust guides us. We follow the lust of our heart. We follow the greed of our heart. We follow this desire for fame or status. And it controls the inner beings of our heart. And it forces us not to submit to God, but to submit to ourselves. 
That is because man by very nature is foolish. You and I, we were born foolish. We were born with this sin in our hearts. But this is the great news. Is that Christ, He came to die for fools. And the only way for us to be wise is if we are filled with the Spirit. And the only way that we could possibly be filled with the Spirit is by Christ. His death. His resurrection. This is what he told his disciples, that he would be sending a helper, but that he must go before he sends the helper. In our foolishness, Christ still dies for us. He dies for our sin. What Christ does is he takes on the full wrath of God that fools deserved. Christ did not deserve God's wrath. But instead, he laid down his life by taking on the full wrath of God for foolish people, so that when foolish people trust in Him, they could be wise. This is the point of why the fear of the Lord should lead us to why the fear of the Lord leads us to wisdom. Is because the foolish person does not see their sin as what it is. The foolish person does not see God as a holy, holy. Holy God. But the wise person does. The wise person submits and says, I am more sinful than I could ever possibly be, and yet God is more holy than I could ever possibly imagine, and I deserve His just judgment of being sent to hell. I deserve the just judgment of having His wrath hang over my head, and yet Christ died for me, a fool. And when fools trust in Christ... We receive His Spirit and we are filled with His Spirit so that we may walk according to His will. So that we may walk as holy and blameless. By Christ dying for us and our trust in Him, we go from fools to wise because we've received the promised Spirit which aids us guides us and leads us. I hope you are understanding and and seeing that we cannot be wise and we cannot walk with wisdom unless the Spirit of God has filled us. There are not enough self-help books that you can read that will ever bring you this type of wisdom. Why do you think each year there are hundreds of new self-help books? Because last year's self-help books didn't quite help. And yet we see that in Christ we receive the wisdom and understanding that we need to live and walk as wise people. We must remember that mere knowledge Mere understanding is not wisdom. So here's my question for you. Are you full of the Spirit? Are you filled with the Spirit? Or does the sin of this world still dictate to how you walk and how you live and how you think? 
Or has the Spirit of God come into you and caused you to walk in godliness and holiness? This is of crucial importance. Because many people are led to hell thinking that, they, that their mere knowledge of Jesus is enough. No, we must be filled with the Spirit. We must walk wisely. We must practically apply the knowledge that we have received. We have faith and we have works that we must live out. So what is the result of this? Well, one of the results, as we see in verses 19 through 21, and, and many commentators, they, they struggle on this, because in the original Greek, there are different, uh, there's a different way grammatically that some view this. Some view it as the result of being spirit-filled leads to what we will read in verses 19 through 21, and some read it as the means of staying spirit-filled is verses 19 through 21. I'm going to play on the fence here. I actually think it's both. I think it's both because... You won't desire to sing spiritual psalms, hymns, and songs from your heart glorifying Christ unless the Spirit has filled you. You won't give thanks to God our Father in the Lord Jesus unless the Spirit has filled you. You won't submit to one another unless the Spirit has filled you. On the other hand, I do think, I do think that we see as Paul has already mentioned before, that if we grieve the Holy Spirit, it will callous our hearts, that if we neglect this, if we neglect singing to one another, if we neglect giving thanks to God, if we neglect submitting to one another, then we won't be kept filled. And this is the other way. So some will say that this is the result, and some will say this is the means. I think it's both. I think it has to be both. So here, are you wondering if you are spirit-filled? We must ask ourselves these questions. We must look at what Paul, how Paul finishes this section and say, do I desire these things? Verse 19, the spirit-filled person addresses one another, or what we could say is they sing to one another with spiritual psalms, hymns, and songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It shouldn't matter if you're a good singer or a bad singer. The persons filled with the Spirit will desire to actually sing to other Christians. And they will desire to sing to other Christians songs that are centered on Christ. We, we, live, we definitely live during a time where we have no shortage of Christian songs. A lot of those songs, though, tend to be void of anything with Christ. Be careful what you listen to. 
Are you listening to songs that exalt and glorify our Savior, that reveal the characteristics and character of our Father, or are you just singing melodies on repeat with really awesome instruments behind? Are you singing it from your heart? Are you singing it to one another? The Spirit-filled person not only desires or has this desire to sing, but they also have a desire to give thanks. Isn't it interesting that the Christian has this desire, even in the midst of trials of various kinds, to still give thanks to the Lord? The Spirit-filled Christian desires to give thanks to the Father in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. And, and lastly, and this may seem like a strange one to some of us, but the Spirit-filled Christian desires to submit to one another. Desires to allow others to speak into one another. Are you looking or are you lacking desire and love for God? It very well may be that you are not walking wisely at the moment. It very well may be that you are grieving the Spirit. You see, why is this important for us? This is important for us because as we walk wisely, it's not just about gaining wisdom. It's not just about doing morally right things. This type of walking leads to a greater fellowship with God. This type of walking will lead us to commune with God in ways that we could never have possibly imagined. No, I am not saying that this won't lead to hard things. In fact, walking wisely will lead you into hard situations. It will lead you into situations that you didn't think that you would do. It, would lead, it will lead you to confrontation when confrontation is necessary. It will lead you to walking away from your anger when you need to. It will lead you to turning away from the ways of this world when you need to. It will be hard at times, but it will lead to a greater dependence and communion with God. I will guarantee this. Walking wisely will lead you to enjoy God more, not less. Why? Because those who walk wisely will be filled with the Spirit. And those filled with the Spirit will walk wisely, which will always lead to a greater fellowship with our Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to walk wisely? To walk 
as children of light, filled with the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to lead us. I pray this in your Son Jesus' name. Amen.